0: Rather than turning northern Europe happily into the Italian Riviera, human-induced climate change and global warming are causing extreme weather phenomena across the continent. Temperature peaks are increasing in intensity and frequency, as are extreme rainfall events. Hardly a summer goes by without news of massive forest fires, catastrophic flooding, unbearable heat or unusual meteorological events. Europe's citizens are increasingly concerned about climate risks, whether they live near a forest that could one day turn into an inferno, a river that could engulf everything around it, a mountain that could suffer a landslide, or a coastline that faces rising sea levels and erosion. From Slovenia to Spain and Germany to Greece, many European regions are becoming painfully aware of their vulnerability to nature's wrath. Yes, we know that's a bit of a gloomy introduction to today's episode of the Green Deal Podcast. But actually, today is about understanding, with all our colleagues from the Euronet Plus network, how those who live in these disaster-prone areas are coping and adapting to tomorrow's climate. You have no doubt heard the somewhat alarming news that this September and October were the hottest September and October globally since records began. Clearly, in some countries, this year's so-called Indian summer was a welcome surprise. But looking ahead, the picture is far more bleak, as Egidius Rimkus, a professor at Vilnius University's Department of Hydrology and Climatology, tells Dominika Goldbergaitė, a reporter from Ginura Dias in Lithuania. In this northern country, where September temperatures usually peak at 10 or 11 degrees, people left their winter boots in the cupboard, As the average temperature in September 2023
1: topped 17.5 degrees. What is really important for Lithuania, if we look purely at the physical indicators, is probably the heat waves you mentioned. We have more and more heat waves and more and more days with heat waves. We are of course happy that September has been so warm, well, who could be sad about a warm September? But extreme heat is something else. It is not good for everyone, because not everyone can adapt to it. That is, show an exacerbation of cardiovascular disease, which is strongly influenced by heat exposure. It is not easy, especially for older people, to adapt to such changing conditions. The second thing is the increase in rainfall, increasing the intensity of the rainfall. We will have more and more periods of heavy rain. In the end, this affects us a great deal, and the winters, of course, will continue to recede.
0: These thermal anomalies affect population health, the economy and people's livelihoods. In 2022 alone, according to MDAT, the Emergency Events Database, such events resulted in more than 16,000 deaths across Europe and directly impacted 156,000 people. Adapting to these new threats is a race against the clock. Slovenia had a taste of this this summer, when along with Austria and Croatia, it was hit by deadly storms, record floods and landslides. Slovenian climatologist Luczka Kaifes Bukatai explains to our colleague Mateja Arnus at RTV Slovenia that when you look back at past climate forecasts, these only serve to illustrate that the pace of change ...has been much faster than expected. This is the predicament that we climatologists are warning everyone about. That climate change has accelerated. Unfortunately, it's happening faster and it's happening more extensively. Of course, we will not have floods every year. We will not have droughts every year. But the likelihood of both is increasing exponentially. We certainly need to be well prepared for this new reality so that the damage is not such that it undermines our quality of life or our economy. In a 40-year period from 1980 to 2020, natural hazards have cost European countries an average of 12 billion euros per year, according to European Commission figures. Further south in Portugal, we hear from José Mendes, coordinator of the Risk Observatory at the University of Coimbra's Centre for Social Studies. Mendes tells my colleague Cristina Nascimento, a journalist at Jadegna that Portugal's population distribution has further exacerbated the country's climate related risks. <inaudible> The
1: Portuguese territory as a whole is very vulnerable because it is small but it presents various risks from flooding to droughts, heat waves, cold waves with territorial variations. It is very sensitive. The population is highly concentrated in sensitive areas as urban growth has taken place in flood zones and in areas with landslides. The people who moved from the countryside to the cities did not previously have any adaptability but now they have adapted. But this population shift has left empty land that is very vulnerable. And on the coast, which is jam-packed, some 80% of the population live on the coast, between Viera Domino and Villarreal de San Antonio, these people are living in areas that significantly increase their vulnerability.
0: Coastal areas, forests, rivers, certain regions are particularly susceptible to extreme weather events. And as Europe prepares to face more of these in the future, all EU countries need to rethink their territories, assess at-risk regions and consider which areas to avoid or protect in terms of residential development. Tiberiu Cirices is Executive Director of ProPark, a foundation to protected areas based in Brasov, central Romania. He tells Monica Neacciu from Radio Romagna that Romania should consider excluding certain areas from human settlement given that many of them were in fact built illegally.
1: In Romania's protected areas, one of the biggest threats to habitats is civil constructions. Many of these buildings are built illegally or only semi-legally and then become legal later on. But this procedure basically opens the door to further urban development projects such as so-called paths or urban development plans, farms and small factories, which would be in areas of great natural value, but also from a practical perspective, in dangerous areas if you think about the flooding risks. Once these constructions are built, people get used to them. And now, due to climate change, the frequency of rainfall, storms, in essence the amount of water, increases year on year and the pressure on basic infrastructure is much greater. We often see these flooded areas on TV and think, oh, this is a natural disaster. But we forget that a long time ago someone built in a natural area that should have been protected rather than being used for construction.
0: We saw in a previous episode that nature restoration and biodiversity conservation, in particular in forests or wetlands, provide natural buffers against climate change. This does not mean, however, that all at-risk areas must be systematically left for nature restoration, notes Daniele Spizzicchino, an engineer and researcher at ISPRA, the Italian Institute for Environmental Protection and Research. ISPRA provided technical support when floods hit Italy's northern regions of Emilia-Romagna in May 2023.
1: There are two basic approaches here, on the one hand certainly the urban planning part, so zero soil consumption, the re-naturalization of certain areas. On the other hand, from a mitigation standpoint, we must carry out structural interventions to reduce the impact of these phenomena on the territory. These may be based on natural solutions, so do not necessarily have a major impact, but they give the land breathing space and the capacity to deal with such events, for example by locating areas for natural flooding with compensation. It is clear that we would prefer to flood agricultural land by coming to an agreement with the farmer and telling him, look, when an adverse weather event happens, it is better for your land to be flooded, for which we will pay you compensation, rather than for a town to be destroyed.
0: Spitzikino also recommends non-structural interventions, including monitoring, alerting and initiatives to raise awareness and providing information about forthcoming weather events.
1: If I'm a citizen who lives in a building, who owns a factory or has an economic activity in an area of higher hydraulic risk, when a weather warning arrives, And in general, as a matter of fact, I will have to adopt virtuous behavior both in everyday life and in the exceptional situation. I have to know, for example, that if there is a weather warning, I will not make my car out of the garage during the weather events. I will move it the day before. If I have a factory in an area of high hydraulic fragility, I will need to adopt a whole series of measures to reduce the impact of that weather event on my production. So it's necessary to transfer this awareness and knowledge to the most exposed communities to ensure that the effects of damage are reduced during events.
0: And this interview was shared by Giulia Cannizzaro, our colleague at RADO24 in Milan. In fact, such awareness-raising initiatives are essential if we are to encourage communities and individuals to play an active part in the climate resilience and adaptation process. Back in Portugal, José Mendes tells Christina that local authorities have a key role to play in changing people's attitudes and behaviour, that they don't always hit the mark.
1: Almost all of them have climate change adaptation plans, but these are very institutional. They're very much designed to meet institutional objectives and not to truly change behaviour or mobilise people.
0: Another country that has not had an easy ride this year, with Storm Daniel, causing major flooding there in early September. This concrete proof of their country's vulnerability has certainly succeeded in raising Bulgarian citizens' awareness of the problem, explains geographer Emil Gachev to Radoslav a journalist with the national broadcaster BNR. The next challenge is to teach them what to do in the face of it.
1: Right course of action has two sides. The first being the so-called early warning systems. When we know the phenomena well, we can predict to some extent when an occurrence may exceed normal limits and when people's attention should be drawn to a potential disaster. The other side of the coin is how people need to be trained and ready to act when such an early warning occurs.
0: As we have seen, few countries are immune to these challenges, which require rapid intervention and substantial resources to address. This is why the EU has developed policies focused on disaster prevention and risk reduction, setting itself five objectives – anticipate, prepare, alert, respond and secure. To improve disaster prevention, preparedness and response, it created the EU Civil Protection Mechanism, which aims to strengthen cooperation between EU countries and 10 other states in this area. When an emergency situation exceeds the response capacities of one country, that country can request assistance through the mechanism and the European Commission covers at least three-quarters of the deployment costs. And in the wake of a string of civil protection mechanism requests from member states for assistance with intense forest fires, the Commission set to tackling this growing trend and drew up an action plan for forest fire prevention. And finally, because these challenges know no borders, EU countries are member of the Sendai framework, an international agreement that strives to protect development gains from such disasters. Increasing the resilience of Europe's infrastructure, ecosystems, society and economy is an important strand of disaster risk management. And there is no lack of technological tools with which to do this, as Bulgarian marine ecologist Dimitar Berov highlights to be BNR.
1: With such extreme phenomena creating a risk of environmental problem, the specialists and especially the institutions are able to inform themselves quickly and easily. Things that 10, 20, 30 years ago were science fiction are now completely possible. I can open my phone right now And tell you what the water temperature is in the Ocean of Indonesia. In other words, we are equipped with excellent tools that allow us to manage the risk of extreme weather events and react even at short notice.
0: Still, we do need to up our investment in resilient infrastructure, such as flood defences, drainage systems and buildings capable of withstanding extreme weather events. This includes modernizing and improving existing infrastructure. Raivis Ragainis, the mayor of Jekapils, a town in southeastern Latvia, knows this only too well. In January this year, Jekapils experienced devastating flooding when the Daugava River burst its banks due to a noise jam. Uldis Kesberis, journalist at Latvia's radio, asks Mayor Ragainis how Bills plan to reduce the flooding risk in the future.
1: Funding has been approved for the reconstruction and reinforcement of the dam. Contracts have already been signed with the builders and work has started. We're also planning to submit a project to the European Regional Development Fund to receive funding to reduce flood risks and to extend the dike. And in the future, we want to build a network of streets with a certain height marker to stop water moving deeper into the city in the event of a flood. If water overflows the dam, then at a certain height the old town and other parts of the town can flood very quickly. But if we build the street level up to the 84 centimeter mark, then the movement of water could be stopped.
0: Because no matter what is thrown at us, humanity is sure to rise to the challenge with inventiveness and adaptability. Thank you for listening, Make sure to come back in two weeks' time for a new episode of our Green Deal podcast.